Um, Lord, we thank you for this morning and we thank you for your word. God, we ask that you would speak this morning. Lord, we just acknowledge that you're Lord over all. Thank you that you're not like us. Um, Lord, your word says that you are so much greater and beyond comprehension, Lord. And so we, we honor you and we love you because you loved us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. Go ahead and open your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. We have been going through a series about the Holy Spirit amongst us. It's this picture of how God has intended for us not only to have the Holy Spirit with us as individuals, but the Holy Spirit is something that we share amongst one another. That it's by our friendships, it's by the way we relate to one another, that we not only experience Christ, but the world, people who don't know Jesus, people who've never seen Jesus, would see him. In fact, that's what Jesus would say. He says, it is by the way you love one another. And when he says that, he's not talking to the whole world. He's talking in-house to the people here. He says, by the way you guys love one another, that's evangelizing. That's showing the world around there how, what love really is. Because when they see the love, when they see the Holy Spirit working amongst us, they go, oh, that is something that is not like this world. You guys aren't trying to tear each other apart. You're not trying to be competitive and beat one another. You don't gossip. You don't slander. You don't hate. You don't um, beat each other down. But rather, you guys love each other. You're selfless. You build each other up. You pray and contend for one another. You're there for each other in your weaknesses. All those point to a love that's greater than anything we could do on our own and in our own ability, but of God's love. And that is something that we were intended for. That's something we were made for as well. And so if you're in Acts chapter 8, go ahead and look at um, verse 26. We come to an interesting point in the scriptures. Um, If you guys remember a couple weeks ago, right before Thanksgiving, we looked at a story where the church was scattered. And the church was scattered because of persecution. And it caused... And what you even see through the book of Acts is this period where you see the gospel spreading to all these different places out of Jerusalem, where it originally started from in the book. And so we get glimpses of all these different stories um, through it. And one of them that I want to look at this morning is a, it's a fan fave of mine. Um, it's an interesting one. If you remember two weeks ago, we talked about a man named Philip who went to Samaria. Philip is someone who's a part of this story this morning. And so if you look, Philip is outside of Jerusalem and he's preaching the gospel. And that's where we pick it up in verse 26. And this is what it says. It says, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. How many of you have angels that just show up and tell you what to do? How? <laughs> Only on Mondays. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandaki, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. And the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. To give you a little context, so... An angel has told Philip to go south of Jerusalem, and he runs into this man who is on a chariot, who is of royalty, who is a part of Ethiopian royalty in their kingdom, and he's reading the book of Isaiah. Now, Isaiah is an actual book in the Bible. If you go back into the Old Testament, it is a prophet who existed hundreds of years before Jesus came to be. 
And yet, so many, he gave so many prophecies. There's 66 chapters in the book of prophecies that he gave um, about God, about Jesus. In fact, many people, and this is an interesting just side note, um, many people thought that Isaiah, part of it was written before Jesus and part of it was written after Jesus because it was so accurate in the prophecies of Jesus all the way down to where he would be, the circumstances of what he would be like. Um, But then they found, actually just about 60 or 70 years ago, they're called the Dead Sea Scrolls, and it's the actual manuscripts, the actual originals, and they dated it all the way back. And so it gave further proof that this was a miracle of God. He's reading this book, and he's reading about Jesus, and Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. And so he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And this is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shear is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. That's in Isaiah 53, and that's referencing Jesus' death. That's actual reference that is biblical and backed up where he was silent before Herod and Pilate and his accusers. This is the prophecy that talks about it. Now, the eunuch doesn't know that. And he says, the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is this prophet talking about himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away by Philip. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Amen? God's word? Amen? Amen? Maybe? Yes, so? So when you look at this scripture, there's one thing I want to focus in particular of. There's, There's a million ways that we could take the scripture. There's a lot of truth that comes of this. This is a rich scripture. But there's one thing I want to look at particularly about today. And it talks about in verse 30 and 31, when Philip walks up and he hears him, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet, because he asks an interesting question. He doesn't go, hey, what are you reading? Hey, how's it going? His question is, do you understand what you are reading? How many of you would ask someone that if they're reading a book? Do you understand what you're reading? And you're like, my brother, I'm reading the book, aren't I? That's an interesting question to be asking when it comes to even the Bible. And yet his response is even more, interesting to look at and even more of a picture of how we're called to live with one another with god's word and god's truth he doesn't say i'm fine or man i don't want to look stupid like i don't know the bible when someone asks me a question amen anybody been there before so no i'm good thank you but this man actually just in honesty goes how can i how could i understand this unless somebody explains it to me how could i unless somebody introduced what what was really going on here? And he reads the scripture and he goes, can you tell me, is this talking about the prophet himself or someone else? I don't know. 
I don't know what it's talking about, and I need some help. And here's a scripture that talks about the prophecy of Jesus, and Philip uses that as an opportunity to explain the good news of who Christ is, and this man comes to be saved, and this man sees a miracle. He sees the Spirit of the Lord take him away in front of him, and he rejoices in front of him. And when you look at scriptures like this, when you look at the way that this question even went down, that this this encounter went down between two people and God's word, here's a man that what didn't understand it, but because of his question, because of reaching out, and because of the boldness of Philip to go, do you understand what you're reading right now? Do you need help understanding the word? You saw a miracle happen. You saw mere questions even misunderstanding and open and honest misunderstanding lead to awe and wonder of who God is. Now, one of the things about this is that I want to talk about this morning is awe and wonder. Because when you look at awe and wonder and you look at questions and you look at the way that they relate to one another, they're very close. Questions lead to awe and wonder of who God is and understanding of who he is. Our faith, faith in Jesus, trust isn't this stagnant cookie cutter everyone has to think one way religion religion here you go here you go here you go that's not how it works nor did god create us to be that way it's not without doubt it's not without questions it's not without learning and it's not without wonder amen but instead it is a beautiful beautiful encounter of who jesus is it's this beautiful journey that we get to learn about who god is and we get to be in awe and wonder of who he is how many of you ever been in awe and wonder of who god is how many of you had a point in your life where god just blew your mind god just did something so beyond anything that you could have been able to see or blow comprehension of who you are and what you believe in see that's what god is god encourages us to dream about how great he is Awe and wonder is how we're to relate to God. In fact, it's this, in Psalm 130, it would use this term, holy reverence. We have this reverence of who God is. And in another translation, it's called holy fear. Like, oh my goodness, like, you are so much bigger than I could ever imagine or ever even try to comprehend on my own ability or with my human mind. God is God. And that's, that's one of the main things about who he is that we live in. God is God and we are not. One of the greatest temptations of Satan is you are God. Yet we know that God is God. God is something completely different than who we are. I put together a quick list, obviously, of what God is. And obviously, just as I said, you can't comprehend who he is. But here's a couple snapshots of who he is. Natalie, if you could put that up. God is eternal. God is above time. God doesn't dwell in time like we do and wait on a clock. But God is so much bigger and can even speak and see things simultaneously giving us the decision to make on our own. God is all-knowing. God knows everything. God is um, all-powerful and he's all-present everywhere. That's who God is. Amen? Can we say amen to that? That's a big God, would you say? Is it big God? Yeah. Is he? Thank you, Stephen. God is bigger than we could ever imagine, but this is what he's not. This is what God is not. God is not human. God is not like us. God doesn't have our capabilities. Yes, we are God-like, and yet, but when it comes to humanity, God became humanity on behalf of us, but the Father in heaven, he's not human like us. He is sovereign. He is 
good. He is not cursed by sin the way that we are. God isn't just philosophy. He's not just a man-made religion. He's not made up in that sense. And then finally, God is not fully comprehended. And that's one of the vital things to our own faith that I want to talk about this morning because on wonder starts with comprehension. If you don't know what comprehension means, it's this. It's, it's looking at something and saying, I can fully understand it intellectually with my mind and with information. That's vital to our faith because of this. Did you know that God made you in such a way that you wouldn't fully understand him? Do you believe that? That God made you in such a way that you wouldn't be able to fully understand everything about God. And that as long as we're on this side of heaven, you're not going to fully understand everything that God is because he's greater than anything that we could have. Some people, in fact, hold that against God. They say, well, I can't understand God. I don't know everything about him, so I, I deny his existence. But actually, that's something that works for God. Because, can I ask you something? If God was able to be comprehended by your mind, do you think he would be God? Do you think he would be everything that he says he is? All-knowing, all-powerful, all-good? I don't know about you, but if God was anything like Jeff Ciro in 2016 in Beaverton, Oregon, we're all in trouble. And why are we gathering here? Why are we worshiping a God that's that big? We wouldn't, we wouldn't need to gather. We wouldn't need to do anything. We wouldn't even have church if God was that big. But let me ask you something. Is it any different when you believe that in your heart? Because you see God only that big. Our worship is determined by how big you think God is. If you think God is this small, if you think God is, is the size of a person, if your faith in God is the size of how, how big your parents are, how big your school is, how big your culture is, then it, it's going to be pretty diminished understanding of who God is. And it's going to be really hard to trust in a God that you don't think is that big. You'll really doubt that size God could forgive your sins. You'll doubt that size God could really care about you, um, walk with you, watch over you, have the future in the palm of his hand, as it says it is. See, your understanding of God determines who you are and what kind of person you are and the decisions that you make. Now, when I say who your understanding of God determines who you are, what I mean is this. It's not just believing in something. I believe LeBron James is a real person, but that doesn't mean I believe in him that I follow him, that I'm devoted and I do morning devotions to his word, doesn't mean I act out my life in accordance to his will. Amen? I'm sorry if you do. But with God, it's not just a matter of just, yes, he exists. I know that. It's believing truly that he is what he says he is. If God is truly all-knowing, if God is truly all-powerful, if God truly is love, do I believe in that? And is that something I trust in that I'm willing to make decisions? I'm going to live my life this way because I know what God says about me. I'm here to please God because he's sovereign over all over these things that are in front of me. See, that's an interesting thing because when, when you know that he's greater than all, you live with faith because you ultimately trust in something that you know is bigger than the world in front of you. You live with no fear of the world in front of you because you live in reverence in awe and wonder of the one who is greater than the world. Greater is the one who is in you than the one who is in the world, is what it says in 1 John 4. But when he's small, when it's diminished, when it's comprehended, doesn't seem 
like God is that big. And he's smaller than our culture. He's smaller than our nation. He's smaller than those kids at school who tell you to live a certain way. Otherwise, you'll be a loser. He's smaller than culture putting pressure on you to act a certain way or to turn away from the Lord or not to give you his full heart. And, you know, something about our world that we live in, we live in a world of intellect. Amen? We live in a world of information. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. Because we uphold being able to explain everything. Do you, let me ask you just a quick question. Give me a yes or no. If someone is really, really smart and knows a lot of information, do you think of them of high stature? Do you think they're important? Do you think they're accomplished? You don't go, oh, they're stupid. No, absolutely not. It's natural in our society to uphold people who are smart, people who sound great. People who are wordy. (laughs) But let me ask you, if that's what you uphold, sometimes that can be translated into our faith, can it not? Because when you translate intellect as faithfulness or as growth in faith, this is what begins to happen. You then begin to equate God's goodness with how much you can comprehend of him. Well, if, if I don't know anything about God, if I don't know everything about him, he must not be that good. Oh, I think I can understand more about him. So, obviously, I'm doing well. I'm understanding and I'm building relationship with God. But it's not necessarily like that. See, we live in a world that truly is unlike any other society in in Earth's history, in humanity's history. In fact, did you know that we have more available information at this time in our world's history than ever. In fact, even just 30 years ago, we have five times as much more information available to you as we did then. In fact, it's what they're saying is even just a couple hundred years ago, you have read more books by the time you're three years old than most people have read in their entire lives a hundred years ago. You have so much information in front of you. In fact, it's estimated that you intake, hear this, You take in 15 and a half hours of media a day of, like, information in front of you. That's the equivalent of nine full DVDs of information a day just by listening, by looking, by everything that's upon you. And you know what? That can lead us to a place of trusting in ourselves. Well, I have all this information, so obviously I got Google. You know, so I have the information. I should be able to know everything. So if God doesn't tell me something and we have all this information, God must not be real. But do you truly, will you truly be able to comprehend to God that that's that's that big and that great? No information would be able to do that. And there will be no point where we'll be able to fully comprehend who God is. We can comprehend his character, that he's loving, that he's good, but... Who he is fully, we will not be able to know on this side of heaven. In fact, that's something that in the word, in Isaiah 29, 16, Isaiah, that same prophet, says he's talking to a people who are trying to hide their lives because they're like, God doesn't care. I can, I can do whatever I want, and God won't care, and the people won't care. And this is what he says to them. He says this out of prophecy. He says, you turn things upside down speaking to their lives, and he says, As if the potter were thought to be like the clay, shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, You did not make me. Can the pot say to the potter, You know nothing? No. That's, that's the picture of who we are. We are made by God. It's as if he's a potter and as if we're clay. 
God knows you inside and out. He knows where you go and where you come from. And so to say, you did not make me and you don't know anything, God, is it's ridiculous. Because of who he is and what he's made us to be. Because of his love for us. In fact, even now, how many of you think we have a lot of information in this day and age? Just raise your hand. Well, let me tell you just some quick facts. Did you know that we only know and we only understand 4% of the universe? We only understand 4% of the universe. We only understand 5% of the ocean. And now listen to this. You only understand 10% of your brain. That's all we know. And so when we go, God, I, I know. God, I know. Do you? Do we? God is God. He knows this inside and out. And so when we say, God, I don't understand something, it's like, well, duh. But I do. And you can trust in me. See, human wisdom can be an idol in our lives. And even worse, when you try to comprehend God, you unintentionally diminish him into your size. You bring God down to your height because that's the only way that you could understand God. God that's only comprehended by your brain. And let me ask you something. If you had a God that could be fully comprehended by you, would that be a big God? No, he wouldn't. There's a scripture in 1 Corinthians 2.1.4. Paul, one of the leaders of the early church, he's writing about the way that he approached the city in Corinth. And he talks about how his heart was before him. And it says this in 1 Corinthians 2.1.5. He says, and so it was with you. He says, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. I want to reread that. I did not come with eloquence or of human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and with great fear and trembling. How many of you, if somebody came in weakness, fear, and trembling would say, oh, they must have the words of eternal life? Because it's like, they don't seem confident. They don't seem intellectual. Yet that's exactly how Paul says, I, I did that on purpose. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Now listen to this. So that, can you say so that with me? So that, this is why. So that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. See, he would say, I would come in weakness and trembling. I wouldn't come with eloquence, intellect, human wisdom, information, because I don't want you to think your faith is only that. I want to be clear, too. Information is a good thing because knowledge can lead to a deeper faith. But knowledge by itself, the word says knowledge puffs up, just makes you think you're more than you really are. But love builds up. Love builds up. Knowledge leads to a deeper love and understanding and faith. But knowledge by itself, information by itself, that's not really faith at all. In fact, what's interesting about this scripture is that the human wisdom is about God. It's not about things of this world. And so he says, if you're just resting in your own philosophies, man, look at how smart I am about God. Is that really trusting in God? God doesn't want you to trust in him because you have a great theology. God wants you to trust in him because he loves you. And he wants you to to be in awe and wonder of who he is. 
See, God's bigger than we could ever imagine, which means we can't comprehend or see or even rationalize everything that he does and is. But you know what? Just because he's that big doesn't mean that you can't sit in awe and wonder of God right now. Doesn't mean that throughout your everyday life that you could see signs and wonders and the greatness of who God is in our lives. That's something that we share. We don't share intellect. We share the spirit with one another. We share in signs and wonders. We share in the power of the Holy Spirit. Did you know that a day is going to come in heaven? It says that we're just for eternity just going to be in awe of seeing everything clearly of who God is and what he did for us on earth that we weren't able to see. And we're just going to praise him because we can't help it because of how great he is. Doesn't mean you can't do it now, though. Doesn't mean that God doesn't want to open your eyes to it now. And that's something that he does want to open our eyes to you right now. And he wants us to live in that. Amen? Yeah? He wants us to live in awe and wonder of who he is. He wants us to be this place where we're like a child before him and go, wow, that's incredible what you did. That's incredible who you are. That's the God I want to trust. And so how do you do that? How do you live in wonder? How do you witness the wonder of God? How do you witness this beautiful balance of trusting in God because of his word, but also seeing the awe and wonder in front of, in front of you, him working on his behalf? I think it starts with this. God wants us to dream, but he also wants us to question. God wants us to dream, but he also wants us to ask questions. When you read the story about this Ethiopian eunuch, he asked a question, and he was open and honest. So, yeah, I don't know everything. I need help understanding God's word. And that's something that we share in together. Can I ask you something? If you didn't understand something about the Bible, would you be bold enough to ask someone, even if it seemed dumb? Because that's how God wants us. He wants us to ask questions. I don't understand everything about the Bible. And I'm willing to admit that because I know who God is. And I know that he wants to teach me more about it. And he's going to be teaching me more about it for the rest of my life. And the same for us. Every time I learn something about God, it just blows my mind. He wants to blow yours too. You see, that is something that God, I want to just make clear. I'm not saying that like stubborn unbelief or just doubt by itself but doubt that leads you to seek and go, wait, I don't understand this. Wait, I don't get why this is happening. Wait, why does this say this here? Why did God do that? You know, those are good questions that open the door for you to grow closer to God. That's not sin. Doubt is not sin. Doubt can be an opportunity for you to grow closer to God if you take advantage of it. Sometimes I believe, I believe this, doubt is proof that you want a genuine faith in your life because you're not just going in believing ignorantly. But if you doubt, it's on you to dig deeper. It's on you to seek it out and not just seek it out alone, but seek it together with those around you. That's why you see him going. He didn't sit there and go, okay, I'm going to try and figure this out on my own with my own wisdom and in my own experiences. But he said, I need some help. Can you help me? Do you understand this? And can you explain something I don't know to me? See, that's the posture of our hearts. And that is the difference between a man not knowing Jesus And knowing Jesus and seeing the power of the Spirit. That's the power of a question. That's the power of reaching out. Did you guys know that before the New Testament was written, the New Testament was written um, decades after this all happened. So while Acts was going, they didn't have, you know, Corinthians, Ephesians, Philippians. But this is how they would spread all the words about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John because they didn't have it. They would tell it audibly with one another. And so... 
for example, it would be like Tyler and Noah and Jack right here. So we would be talking about the feeding of the 5,000. It's like, man, remember when Jesus told this story? And we would remember that and we would remind each other of something. Then if Gavin, sorry, Gavin, Gavin came in and he goes, hey, didn't Jesus feed like 8,000 people? We go, no, no, no. It was 5,000. We all remember that. And that's what protected one from heresy because if somebody went off and just did their own thing and said, oh, this is true, people could go, no, that's not true. That's not what really happened. So that protected the validity of the scriptures. But think about this. It allowed for people to share in God's word and understand. Wait, I don't understand the feeding of the 5,000. Oh, let me explain it to you. And opened up their eyes and it allowed for them to get together around God's word. God's word is something that is meant for us to share with one another. Sometimes you think, oh, I just got to go and hide it to myself and keep it to myself and figure it out myself. But God's word is something that we're meant to have questions. I would be worried if you didn't have questions about the Bible. But actually, God made us in such a way to share in it and to work through it together, to pray together, to go deeper in it with one another. And when you seek to learn, that's when you see the wonder of God, like this man in the story. Had he not asked, he would have never seen this miracle of the Spirit. How many of you believe that if you stepped out and asked questions about the Word, you would see wonders and miracles of God? There are always times in my life where I missed out or I had a chance to ask a question that I didn't. And I go, man, I wonder what God would have done with that. I wonder what the Lord would have done if I would have asked that question or shown me if I was willing and humble enough to ask a question and say, I don't know something. Well, you know, that's the beginning of seeking the awe and wonder of God and seeing it. Israel, I'm going to call you guys back up here for the last song of worship. Now, when you seek to learn, if you guys would want to go ahead and put down your Bibles, we're going to respond. See, when you seek to learn, that's when you see the wonder of God. That's where you see the signs and the wonders and the miracles of who God is. That's... You will know who God is if you're willing to press into him. There's a scripture I want you guys to just read on the screen. You can write it afterwards if you want. But it's Psalm 34, 8. It's written by David, a man of the Lord. And he says this. He says, speaking of God and who he is, he says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Now listen to this. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Refuge is this place of safety. It's your hiding place. It's this place of defense. It's this place called home. It's where you're strongest. It's where your defense is greatest. It's where you're most comfortable. And yet it would say, if you have doubts, this is how he would say, he doesn't say, um, try and figure it out yourself. Um, read a book. He says, taste and see. Press in if you have questions and see the Lord's goodness because God will answer. God will reveal himself. Just like this man who said, I don't know. But I'm going to ask a question. And then he saw God's glory and God is question answered. What questions are on your guys' hearts this morning? What are the burning things about God? What are the things holding you back from diving in deeper with the Lord? Maybe you don't even know Jesus in this room and you're in a place of like, I have so many questions and that is good. Ask him. Ask him. You don't have to pretend like you don't know something because in the reality of it all, God is God and we are his people he loves us and that's not something we tremble in scared fear but rather it's something we celebrate that he is greater than us and so in that if you would just want to bow your heads with me
Maybe this morning you have questions that you've been holding back on. Maybe you've been afraid to ask them because you think you would sound dumb. Maybe you've been afraid to ask God them. Maybe you've been afraid to ask friends or your parents these questions. But pressing in just like this man did and saying, how will I know unless somebody helps me? Lord, we we acknowledge that we need your help and we need one another. God, we need each other. Lord, we can't do this alone, nor did you intend for us to do this alone. So Lord, would we share our questions? Lord, would we share our pursuit of you? God, would you reveal yourself to us? God, you're faithful and you always are. And Lord, we believe that you are God. We believe in who you are, that you're all-powerful and all-knowing. If you're in this room and maybe you've diminished God in your heart and you're just like, eh, he's not that big. And you've come to a place of just a lack of faith. And you want to change that. You want to bring that back and say, God, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry I didn't give you the honor that was due. I want to pray with you that God would restore his greatness and his glory to you. And remind you that he's a bigger God than you could ever comprehend. Jesus, we give that to you this morning. Jesus, we declare you our Lord and Savior and God over all. We love you and we praise you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.